Today's scripture reading comes from Exodus 6, verses 1 to 13. So again, Exodus 6, verses 1 to 13. Can we all rise in reverence for God's word? All right. <clears throat> Hear now the word of the Lord. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send, out, send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to my people, to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of, the, go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me, for I am an, of uncircumcised lips? But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray before we begin the message. Guide us, O God, by your word and spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find wisdom, and in your will discover your peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. We're continuing on in this uh, book of Exodus, and this is just to serve as a reminder, the world has exact two messages on repeat for us that we hear over and over again. And the first message is, you have to just believe in yourself. The power is inside of you. You have to just tap into it, or simply put, you can do it, you can do it. And then the other message is, you suck, and you're so ugly, you're fake, you're so ugly, twice, <laughs> but there's two kinds of messages, right? And this is what we hear, just go on any social media account, and then you'll hear one of these two messages. If you haven't heard, uh, you suck yet, then just post something on a public forum, and invariably you will hear something to that effect. Um, but... The Bible is teaching us this. These two messages, you can do it. You're the best. You have the power in you. And the other message is, you stink. You're terrible. You can't do anything. They are the same message. They're the same message because the focus is on you. It's about you. And so when we put the focus on ourselves, can we bear that burden? And the answer is no. We cannot bear the burden and we see people that have tried to, as good of a person they were, try to harness that burden on their own. You cannot handle that. 
because we weren't meant to handle it. It's not normal. We weren't supposed to be able. But the Bible shows us that God is able. He created it. He controls it. And He's the one that commands it. So this time when Moses runs into trouble again, before anything else happens, God shows him more of Himself. So there's a running theme here through this book that we'll see and we'll continue to see and we'll see it evolve, but we'll see it in its core that God is able. And because God is able, we can do it. Because God is able, we are able. We are able to be victorious. We are able to stand in front of injustice and say this is wrong this is not right what the government is doing is not right you can't just take babies away from their parents and someone was thinking this is where do we even see this in the bible and i was thinking you literally see this in exodus where pharaoh rips babies away from their mothers so this is happening even today and that's very sad but when we come across certain things, and especially injustices like this, how do we respond? Do we respond partisanly? Do we respond politically? I believe we have to respond just as Moses responded by going to God and saying, God, you are able, aren't you? This is what I've been hearing in the Bible. You're able. And we go to God. And this is how God starts in verse 2. In verse 2, he says, I am Yahweh. I am God. Now, this isn't just any old statement. And this isn't just a statement we'll be like, okay, next sentence. But this is a statement that we should pause. I am Yahweh because he starts this declaration, I am Yahweh, in this passage. And when he ends his talk, he ends it with I am Yahweh. He says, I am Yahweh. If you look at what Joe read, we end it with, I am Yahweh. So there is this grandiloquent declaration to assert and guarantee that whatever is in between these contents, God is going to do. I'm going to do it because I am Yahweh. And this is even God using this burger. And we're supposed to pay attention to the meat that's in between these two declarations, I am Yahweh. In verse 3, he says, I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. So this is uh, exactly what he says. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai, which is translated God Almighty, but my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. I gave that name to you, the great I am. And because of this, he also continues on from there. In verse 4 and 5, I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves and have remembered my covenant. What is that covenant? What is he talking about? So in Genesis 17, verse 7 and 8, God talks about establishing a covenant 
He says to Abraham, between me and you, to your offspring and throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. And then this is what he says. This is not what he said in chapter 3, but he says this here in chapter 6. He says that I will be their God and they will be my people. I will be their God is actually put in Genesis chapter 17. And this is something that we have to start thinking, whoa, this is something additional that God is kind of putting here. It is a reminder, but he did not say it before. But in the covenant, he tells Abraham, I will be their God, right? Meaning your descendants, whoever they are, I'm going to be their God. But here in Exodus chapter 6, he goes, I will be your God and you will be my people. There is a covenantal language that is being used. And before we get into that, I want to just talk about God. Elohim is used here in God when it says, I will be your God, Elohim. And Elohim is the same word used to say when Elohim created the world. And Elohim said, let there be light. It's this Elohim that God is saying, I will be your Elohim and you and you will be his people, right? And so this is the first time God says, I will take you to be my people. Once again, it's a covenantal language, meaning it paints a picture of a bridegroom taking for himself a bride. And sometimes the word Elohim is shortened to El. So some people have heard this before, right? Like El Shaddai. It means Elohim, Shaddai, which means God Almighty, El Elyon, if you've ever heard that, means God Most High. And El Roy means God who sees, and it's all over the Bible. But then there are personal names that we use. So you see, there's this transition that has taken place over time that maybe, wow, to maybe today, if we see it, we'd be like, that's amazing. When God says, I will be your God and you will be my people, people started to change their names of their babies to names like if you're Daniel, if you're Daniel, there is an L in your name, Daniel, and Danny means judge, so Daniel means God is my judge, or if your name is Nathaniel, Nathan means gift, and L is God, so Nathaniel means gift of God, or Samuel, there's L in it, that means heard by L, or Elijah, which, is, which means L is Yahweh. And then there's Ariel. I have not met any Ariel. I only know one Ariel, and she has like 20 whatchamacallits or something like that. But I only know one Ariel. But if you know an Ariel, uh, it means a lioness or lion of L. And lion of L is actually Ariel, is actually a, a name also used for Jerusalem. So that's interesting. If you go to Jerusalem, they have their own flag. And they just take the Israeli flag and they replace David's star with a lion. And so I thought that was pretty cool. There are a lot of angels' names with L. In fact, um, it, it is uh, Jewish tradition that all the, all the days were named uh, after uh, angels. So like Monday was named after Michael. So Michael, who is um, the archangel, right? Michael or Mikael... It means, who's like El? Who's like God? So if your name is Michael, 
your name literally means there's no one like our God. And then there's Gabriel. And if you're Gabriel, that means you're saying, God is my hero. Or Raphael, God heals. Or Uriel means God is my light. Um, I don't think we use Raphael or Uriel or any of these names as much. I, I was thinking about it. A lot of Russians use it. So there's still some Uriels and Raphaels in Russia. And um, so I was thinking like Mikhail, Gabriel. And I was thinking like that. And uh, I was like, wow, they, they have a lot of like, um, even Russia, their history, and they have names that are biblical. Mikhail isn't Russian. It's actually Hebrew. And so uh, there are places that also refer to God that we need to understand when God says, I will be your people and I will be your God. Sorry, I will be your God and you will be my people. I will be your El. Um, like Bethel. Bethel means house of El. Or Jezreel means El will sow. And of course, Israel. And so there is this incredible revelation given to these people like, I am going to be your L. You are going to be my people. And there's this picture of a covenant, like a bridegroom going after and chasing after the bride, saying, I am going to covenant, have this relationship with you. And in this incredible revelation, Moses is shown this is what he is to take to his people. And when he takes it to his people... What happens? In verse 9, it says, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. They thought, fool me once. Isn't it true for us, though? Isn't it true for us? It is literally our lives, too, a lot of people think, oh, you know, Israel is just always messing up. It's so hard to read, you know, the Bible. And if you're doing Exodus in your small groups, you're like, it's so difficult because Israel is always messing up and you're trying to scream at them, hello, God is with you, how can you get it? But to be honest, that's our story if we look closely. But how much is it our story? It's really our story. Because when we're broken in spirit, when we are forced with a lot of oppression, it's hard to hear God. It's hard to reach out to Him and be like, yes, I believe in your promises. Yes, God. Yes, I believe that you will take me to be your people. And this is exactly how the Israelites respond. They couldn't listen to Moses. And so Moses goes back to the Lord. They're not listening to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? I'm of uncircumcised lips. I'm not even that good of a talker. How are they going to listen to me? Who am I to go in front of these people and say what I need to say? Say what you want me to say. In verse 13, the last verse that was read, it says, But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. And then... Um, there's a break in this chapter, and it's kind of weird. There's a break, and all of a sudden talks about genealogy. And you're thinking, 
if you were doing this in a small group, you must have been thinking and asking yourself, why is there a genealogy in the middle of this very tense moment? God reveals himself even more so to Moses to tell his people to say, this is who I am. Isn't this amazing? Isn't this, first of all, we may have heard this in, as a Christian or people that have gone to church before, but this is not something that they've heard every day that God's saying, I'm going to take you to be my people. And this should be like, whoa, this is amazing. And then people don't. They're still discouraged. You know, it doesn't matter how many times I hear the gospel, Pastor G, it just, it just doesn't do it for me. And then you can't help but to wonder, man, you must have gone through so much, brother. Life must have been so difficult, sister, to hear this good news, and you just can't hear it. And then there's a break in genealogy. And like, what's that about? Why is there inter intermission before the, the famous ten plagues that we see in all the Moses movies, right? That's a little odd, right? Maybe. But why? And if we study the genealogy, there's a genealogy chock full of information. Like, we see Korah in here and the sons of Korah. And the, we'll see that in numbers, they'll, they'll cause a big rebellion later. This guy was so inf infamous that he's, Korah was even mentioned in the Quran. And so this guy was really infamous. Um, but it also mentions Moses and Aaron's parents. So in chapter 2, it just said Moses was born from a Levite who married a Levite woman, which is true. And this goes in. But then there's a mention of Moses' parents in the genealogy, and it seems like Moses and Aaron's parents married his father's sister. And you're like, wait, does that mean Moses' dad married his aunt? That's weird. And sure, anti, and then some people were thinking, yeah, sure, anti-incest laws were given during Moses' time. So when his parents got together, technically there were no laws barring it. But you also have to understand that the people reading Exodus were the people who already received the laws and were living. So they're just like you and me. When you're listening to this, there would be a reaction. Yeah, so your parents, so your dad married his aunt. Nice. I don't know how you would respond to that. And so this is what's inserted inside. There's this great tension. There's this uh, like amazing revelation. And right after this, there's amazing um, what do you call it? Miracles that happen. The plagues happen. And in between, there's this, uh, there's this genealogy. And in the very least, you might be like, okay, that's interesting. And I think that's good that we should pause and we say that's interesting because this genealogy is going to lay a base for the things to come. There's, a, like I said, there's a chock full of information in here, but it shows us once again, Moses and even with Aaron, they're not the stars of the show. This is something that we have to get. In this Egyptian deliverance story, Moses and Aaron are not the stars of the show. It doesn't matter what movie you watched. It doesn't matter what you thought growing up hearing. When you see this, this even brings it more so to the fact that they are not the stars of the show. In fact, at the end of this chapter, God tells Moses again, to go to Pharaoh and say, God is God and that he is not. And Moses falters again, at least in this one way. He asks, how will Pharaoh listen to me? I can't see it. 
I just can't see it. And you might be wondering, what kind of chapter is this? There's, there's really no like, good way to make it nice. Like a little sitcom. You know, you want to end it in the nice 30 minutes you give the pastor and then walk away. Okay, that's good. But if you've just read this chapter, you wouldn't think that. Moses is still dejected. After all that God, is, God had done, and he goes, how's Pharaoh going to listen to me? End of chapter, right? And there is, um, there is something to that. There is something to really understanding that we want to go deeper into God, to know who God is, and this is something that we have to do as Christians. We have to do that. And just like when Christine was saying and I was sharing Man, when people don't hear the word of God and you see them so hungry, your heart literally breaks for them. Why? Because people need to know who God is. We need to go deeper into the knowledge of who God is because it changes us. It changes us in just hearing the word of God. And there is this sitcom that I watched where I thought they had a poignant kind of dialogue um, where this guy, he would say, I just, I don't want like, really uh, deep friendships. I just want the friends that you just meet and you're cool and chill with for a few months because they just encourage you all day. But then once you get to know them, they know all the bad things about you and you have to know the bad things about them. I, I don't want that part. I just want the really shallow level of friendship. And that's basically what people are trying to live today, right? When we have friendships over social media, we only want to show them this certain part right? Or if we show them too much, we'd be like, whoa, this person is on the unfollow list. And that's what we think. And that's what, where we want to keep God too, a lot of times. Hey, God, I just want you here. I'll come here on Sunday maybe. And if the sermon is 35 minutes, we'll be like, mm, five minutes, a little too long, Pastor Eugene. You could have cut out that story about the sitcom. Totally unnecessary. And then we, we don't really consider this. We are called to have a deep, profound relationship, not just with each other as friends. Forget the whole shallow friendship, but with God. This is what God means when I want to take you to be my people and I will be your God. This deep relationship is going to be formed and God is going to show them. And it takes time, it takes steps, and there's hurt, and there's honesty, and there's all these things that are going to come up. And God doesn't shy away from it. And Moses falters. He, oh, he just, oh. And then I hope that we can see that. Do you remember, and maybe you're in a good place now, you got that nice job, you have a nice house, you have a nice 2.5 kids, whatever it is, and you have this nice, do you remember when you didn't? Do you remember that time you were crying out and you said, God, I can't, I can't live like this. I, don't, I just don't understand how you could possibly put me through this. I want to bring you back there and remember that part because this is where Moses is. We were all there. Maybe some of us are here right now in that spot. I need to know who God is more because I just don't feel it. There is one L that we really didn't elaborate, and that's Israel. 
Israel has an L in it. So what does it mean? And a lot of scholars say a lot of things. And when you go to seminary, you have like big books like the BDB Theological Dictionary and the Alfred Jones Old Testament for proper names. And then you go through all these things and they all have different things. They want to say what Israel means. And people say in the end, the meaning is we're unsure. But this is what we do know. In the Bible, it says, when Jacob wrestled with God, he said, God said, I will change your name because you wrestled with God. Your name now will be Israel. But we know that Israel doesn't mean wrestle because that's not the Hebrew word. But whatever wrestling had to do with God, God changed his name to Israel. So I'm going to give you some proposed uh, definitions in the BDB, it proposes that because he wrestled with El, it really is God who wrestles back because God could have just killed him. So El perseveres. So God perseveres is really Israel's name. And I like that a lot because God does persevere. And we see that in the Bible. Even though Moses falters, even though Israel falters, even though we are short on faith and we can't see it, it says here that God perseveres. So I do like that. Alfred Jones also has another figure, and that means to be princely, to be like God, to be a governing body. And yes, I see that as well in Israel, because God would raise this nation up to even challenge the biggest authority, the highest and strongest kingdom of the earth at the time, which was Egypt, and they would overcome this kingdom. So yes, it does mean that as well. But I would like to propose to you something else. Because Israel is showing us that if you look in the Bible to wrestle with God, to stay with God, God is saying, I'm going to persevere, I'm going to make you this, so that, so that is there in the Bible, so that you will be faithful. That through the highs and through the lows of your life, you will say, you are my God, and I am your people. That's what Israel means, to be faithful. The Lord declared Abraham righteous because he believed. And just as that, the Lord declares us righteous because we believe. Adoption into God's family, this eternal covenant community, isn't about having the right family name, ethnicity, land of birth, where you live. Neither are there men or women or children in the kingdom, but we're all children of Abraham. We're all sons of God, children of Israel. Not because we keep the Sabbath, come on Sunday. Not because we do, we give money and we, we say, oh, because I give money to the church, um, 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 I deserve this membership. Not at all. The true Israel is the faithful Israel. And faithful Israel inherits God's promises. But is Israel faithful? Are we faithful throughout our lives? And if we're honest with ourselves, no. There are many times we have not been faithful to keep his commands. In fact, many, many times. So Israel, the one who's supposed to be faithful, points to a greater Israel, 
the only faithful Israelite who ever lived, the true prince and ruler of God. This is Jesus. Israel points to Jesus. When Israel couldn't keep the faith, whether you were a leader or you were just part of the crowd, you couldn't keep your faith, we see that someone did and was a truer Israel. This Elohim, the creator of the world, would show us that through the true Israel, we will be adopted into this family, this kingdom. You know, today is Father's Day. Today is the day that we can finally get to say one day a year to your mom, it's not about you, mom. I'm just kidding. You can't say that any day of the year. I'm serious. You can't say Not even on Father's Day. Um, I would still get in trouble by my mom. But today is Father's Day. And while I hope you take this day to be really good to your earthly father, let's not forget how our Heavenly Father loved us that he sent his son to die on the cross for us thereby destroying the powers of sin and death once and for all. You see here, once this petition went up to God, he goes, okay, it's time to move. He showed Israel who he was. He gave them his promises saying, I want you to be my people and I will be your God. And after all this, he finally goes, all right, it's time to go. How did he go? Why is there intermissions? Because we're supposed to pause here and recognize that there is a great evil and sin in the world that needs to be defeated, that needed to be defeated. And God does that through the true Israel. That's the good news for us today. To know God is to know Jesus. And all throughout the scriptures, we see that as much as we want to put the focus on ourselves, and as much as we have, nothing good can come from only that. And even when we wanted to hear from God, we couldn't because our spirits were broken, but not just broken. The Bible says we were dead in our sin. So Jesus, the true Israel, broke through sin and death to set us free from our deafness, from our blindness, from our brokenness. And this is what Romans declares in chapter 6, verse 5 through 11. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all but the life he lives he lives to god so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to god in christ jesus this is the god that we are called to be his people this is the god that we are called to know and understand this is the god that invites us and lifts us up into his presence so that we can have communion with him that's why this is just the beginning folks i want to tell you church this is just the beginning because we want to know jesus
biblically, theologically, and personally. We want to know him in every way God shows us and reveals himself to us. Because to know God is to truly be lifted up and be free. To know God, what he does is to truly experience his love so that we can share it. Otherwise, what are you really sharing? Isn't it just your opinion for the day? The injustices that you feel are right but could change and has changed over the years. Remember three years ago, you were so sure about something? And now you're like, hmm, that was stupid. I can tell you, that's me every day. And I have a wife that reminds me, that was you yesterday. Oh, no, that wasn't. And I just deny it. But it's true. If we're honest with ourselves, isn't that true? But there is one that's unchanging. One that continues to show his love for us and reveals himself to us in the scriptures that we are to know and that we are to love and that we are to worship. A true God a true father through the true Israelite. And I pray that this beginning will excite us. This intermission was there to show us that no one here has good, even Moses. You don't have good pedigree. There's always something. But you see, it's to point to God. God will use us because God is good. Not because we have good pedigree. Not because we went to good schools and we have this amazing resume. And Paul would even challenge, who has a better resume like mine? I went to Harvard, Harvard, Cambridge, and Tokyo University, and they gave me all, not just PhDs, but honorary everything. And he's he just saying, like, even that, I consider it school alone. I consider it garbage compared to knowing Christ, because knowing God is that much more important. It's not about pedigree. It's not about where you're from. It's not about race. It's not about what you have. But it's about God, and I hope that our church, that we can turn our faces to him and say, show us more of you. I want to know you, Jesus. You know, every time we have a problem, it's like, it's like sin is doing that, isn't it? Every time we have a problem, it's like trying to push you down and get you more hunched back. And you, consider, you, you don't consider looking up, and you, you can continue to look inside yourself. Uh, we see, Jesus frees us from that so that now we can look not to ourselves and say, look at me, look, look at what I can do, but we can look to God. Say, this is my true strength. He's my true well that I could draw upon life. And this is the beautiful God that reveals himself to me every day that I now live for all eternity in his church so I hope that we can recognize this and that we'll be excited for the things to come. You know, I do want to end with this short thing. A lot of us have been praying for the building. And every time, uh, so a lot of people call me and ask me, text me, and I love it because you're all interested, you want to be on top of it. Um, what's the update? And what's the update? And, you know, to be honest, all these updates seem to almost be going in a circle, but like a circle that's moving, so like a wheel, but it moves a lot. Like the circle moves a lot, but the wheel, when it turned, it just moved an inch. So if I give you an update every week, you'd just be like, mm, that's just a tiny bit more. So we called the prospective landlord, and then like, oh, that's a good update. Next week, what's the update? Oh, he called us back, 
And what's the next update? Oh, he said he'll give us a, uh, a lease that we can look at. What's the next update? Oh, we got the lease. We brought it to a real estate lawyer, so he's looking at it. Oh, what's the next update? So it continues. So if there's something really good, I will share that because I would love to. But you see here, all throughout this process, we're not supposed to be in the process and get lost in the process and thinking, man, how is this going to work out? Moses is thinking, how, how is this going to work out if I go to Pharaoh? He's not going to listen to me. But God is showing us something in this process. God is going to show us more about who he is, and that's why we should be excited. Be like, wow, this is going to be great, because God is going to reveal to us even more of who he is. And we saw that in Japan. We saw that in, in the Bergen County Jail. We see the spirit moving. We don't know why. It's not because we were especially that good. I, I, can, I can tell you that, that preacher at the Bergen County Jail, he was just okay at best. But the people were moved. They were sitting at the edge of their seats, literally all these hardened criminals. And they had different colors. If you go there, they have different jumpsuits. So jump, some jumpsuits are like if you committed like um, a drug infraction or something like that, illegal substance. And then they would wear like these uh, blue outfits. And then if you committed murder or really like the, the terrible stuff, then you have these orange jumpsuits with stripes. And then you know and they're all there. It's not like, it's not like oh, yeah, we'll get the, the drug infractions. They're all mixed. So you're like, should I be scared? And I, honestly, I thought that because they were bigger than me. And I thought they could kill me right now, like in two seconds. There's only two guards, God. You need to give me more guards. Anyway, I'm just kidding. Um, I, was, I was strong for God. Uh, but that's the point. The point is, if I continue to look at myself, it's just foolishness, isn't it? So God is showing, look. You could look at yourself. You could be discouraged. But don't. I'm showing you more of me. Look at me. Get strength from me and then watch me move. And that's an amazing testimony we have. I believe every testimony that we share today is showing how good and awesome God is. And I pray that's your testimony for your life too. God is good. And if you are going through something, then know this, that even if I say, you know what, I just can't see it right now, then what, lifting it up to God, God doesn't reject. Through his son, Jesus, he hears that prayer. So the most important thing, I hope, that as we move on from this intermission of genealogy, maybe intermission of church, for however long, it could be six months, it's already six months, it could be a year, whatever it is, that we'll see we are supposed to look to the great one, to the great I am. Let's pray.